entering the Freedom Hut. The crisis at the border is real and is in fact overwhelming our authorities who are trying to process new migrants down there. We'll talk about what's really going on and also the FEC complaint against Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez that has some asking questions about how authentic she really is. And then a scientist who likes CO2 and says the climate alarmists are basically nuts. We've got that and more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This is The Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small step. Make Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. I will vote uh, for the motion to disapprove of this, and I will continue to speak out. I do believe that there is uh, at least 10 Republican no votes. We'll see possibly more. My reason for speaking out now is that I think we all need to think this through before we get too far down the road. I support his plan. I want to be sure that we have the funding for it. On the other hand, the way the president has chosen to fund part of it through a national emergency, uh, I think is the wrong way to go. One, I think it's going to set a bad precedent. In other words, future presidents would be able to use a national emergency going against the will of Congress for other issues, say the Green New Deal. And second, you know, it's going to get tied up in the courts, which I think everybody acknowledges. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. I, I don't know why it is that only Republicans have to deal with this, but, but we do. Defections from our own. When the going gets tough politically... Republicans get running for cover. It's not the way it's supposed to be. But that's what we see happening here. Uh, let me deal with this on a few levels. Uh, first of all, it's, it's fine. And, I, you know, we had Senator Rand Paul there and he's saying, oh, I, I don't like the national emergency declaration part of this. You know, you can say that you disagree with it, but Congress explicitly gave the president this ability. It has been used dozens and dozens of times over the course of 40 years, and no one has ever challenged it. It has involved the government taking action, the expenditure of government resources, and no one has ever challenged it. No one in the Congress, at least. Now, this is the first time that we're going to see in the 40-some-odd years of this bill, the Emergency Powers Act being around, that you're going to have a real effort to say, oh, no, you, you, you shouldn't do this, you can't do this. And Trump may end up having to veto it. Now, uh, on the mechanics of this, I just would say Congress gave Trump the authority. He absolutely has the right to say it's a national emergency because guess who determines that? The president. He is, as you could borrow from Bush, the decider. It is his right to decide this issue. Um, This concern about Democrat blowback we're not we're worried about the Democrats using a national emergency when in reality they didn't even go through that process. So Obama could declare DACA, which was just making up the laws. He went along. This law doesn't count anymore. The, the law that Congress passed isn't the law. I'm declaring what the law is. You can't be deported if you are somebody who claims to have been brought here as a child. That's now the law, says Obama. And not only is that the law, says Obama, Now we have federal courts full of activist left-wing judges that Obama appointed that say, oh, you can't undo that even when you're the president because of procedural something or other. I mean, they're just making it up as they go along. 
So this idea that we should be so concerned, uh, we should be so concerned about what the Democrats will do with this newfound power. Uh, the Democrats do whatever they can. They think they can get away with doing with the power they have. Then they don't need any excuse. So that's a non-starter of an argument for me. And you know that because I've been saying it on the show for weeks. But on the national emergency component of this, you know, we have now been saddled with another media propaganda lie that because it is repeated so often, it's difficult. It's difficult to push back against it. You're just overwhelmed with it. The, the dam breaks all around you. Doesn't matter how strong you are, the dam is breaking. Just the, the lies flood out around you. The border right now is a crisis. It is more of a crisis than any of the national or the, the national emergencies that I have seen, at least, that have been declared in the past. This is a situation that is getting worse every month. And the reporting backs me up on this. Uh, the amount of human trafficking, sexual assault that occurs as a result of and, and, and as a part of this human trafficking. The drugs flowing into the country, they're killing tens of thousands of our fellow Americans. The cartels are richer than they've ever been, more powerful than they've ever been, more violent than they've ever been. And our cities are feeling the effect of this through the dead bodies piling up in morgues from overdoses. And they're saying that this isn't an, this, this isn't an emergency. Our Border Patrol and Immigration and Customs Enforcement are overwhelmed on a daily basis now. They don't even know what, what they can do other than just try to keep processing people as they come in. It is a de facto open border situation. All you have to do, and I've talked to Customs and Border Patrol, about, uh, Immigration and Customs Enforcement and Border Patrol about this. I've talked to them about it. They, they say I'm right because they're seeing it every day. You show up with a kid. You claim credible fear. You don't even really have to do that, but it just makes it even easier. Show up with a kid, claim credible fear. You get released in the interior of the United States. And then you never show up for your hearing. You're here, Scott, you're here free and clear. They're never, you know, they're never going to chase you down and deport you. All you and the best thing you could do once you've done that whole process is marry a U.S. citizen or, or have a kid on U.S. soil as fast as possible because then there's a, a, a 0% chance absent you committing a heinous felony that you're going to be deported. This, this is a, a border that is at best slowing people down from coming into the country illegal. And for those who say they're not illegal, they're asylum seekers, that's bull. The moment they don't show up at their hearings or the moment they are not deported after they're denied at their immigration hearing, they are illegal. So they're all illegals in waiting. Because saying that you don't want to live in Honduras anymore or you don't want to live in El Salvador anymore because it's a poor country with lots of crime is not actually an asylum issue. It's an I want to immigrate to America issue. And they're skipping the line that has millions of people already in it. You don't have to take my word for it. All of the reporting on this right now. And I, I wish there would be a little bit more focus on this from from the uh, Republicans um, because they're right on this one. But the, the reporting backs up what I'm saying. I mean, here's a 
A uh, national security reporter for the Washington Post shared this yesterday, quote, a father from Honduras who sat next to him, he said he and his 14 year old son were on their way to Harrisonburg, Virginia. They had crossed into El Paso and were released and on a plane less than 48 hours later. CBP, Customs and Border Patrol, is moving people through as fast as possible. There's no room to hold them. This is is an open border, folks. You just have to know what to do. You just have to not show up and either have a criminal prior criminal conviction or show up laden with drugs or contraband of some kind. And you can come into the country and have a kid with you if you need to borrow someone else's kid, as they've been doing at the border. Rent a child that has been happening at our southern border. They don't have the rooms. They don't have the beds to take these people in. So what do they do? They process them, they release them, process them, and release them. This is catch and release on steroids. Here's this national security reporter for the Washington Post saying that within within 48 hours of coming to the border, a guy from Honduras, his 14-year-old son, are in Virginia. Within 48 hours. That that just means that they're here for good, folks. There's what? You, you think that you think that the Democrats, you, you think that the left is ever going to say, you know what, we're going to the people that came here that scammed our system, that said they wanted asylum because of credible fear at the border or showed up with a child and, and said that they were fleeing persecution or whatever, that were then released in the American interior with the agreement that they would show up at a, an immigration hearing to test their claim. Uh, they're going to be deported now. I, I don't think so. We all know that's not going to happen. I also want to see at the end of this year what the the Gallup poll or what, however they do this poll. They say, are you illegal? Oh, and that's how they get the 12 million, which is basically what the number's been for the last 15 years. 12 million illegals, 12 million illegals, half a million visa overstays every year, hundreds of thousands crossing over the border illegally and it's still 12 million illegals because so many of them are so many illegals are going back to Mexico and Honduras and El Salvador and China and Bangladesh. And, you know, you name it. They're, they're going back home. Really? After all that, nobody believes that. How bad is the problem? You may be asking, you know, this national emergency, the national emergency that a lot of Republicans I hear say, well, it's not really an emergency. And I don't agree with the president doing this. I mean, you know, if, if it were let, let, let's build a base in Syria so we can put a bunch more U.S. troops there to try to build somebody else's country and society for them, which our people, our men and women in uniform, should not have to do, should not be told to do anymore. That's not their job. That's not their role. They're supposed to protect us here and our country and our interests around the world. They're not supposed to be building other people's societies for them. I mean, our military is amazing, so we can do it, but it's not their job. But if that was how Trump used the national emergency, you could tell the the Political establishment would be fine with it. But because it's securing the border, which is completely out of control right now. You don't believe me? 70,000 people showed up at the border last month alone. Either were ineligible for legal admission right away, claimed asylum. Uh, 70,000 was the number. That is astonishing. By the way... They think that number of 70,000 is going to go up next month. Could get 100,000. So here we are in the year 2019 with Donald Trump, who we're told is so xenophobic and says horrible things about Mexico and all this stuff. 
And we are getting on a runway here, a pathway to having the same kind of illegal entry year that we've had in the biggest years in our in, in our history. We are on a on a pathway right now to having upwards of a million illegals entering the United States this year. Now, I know we're only a couple of months into the year, but it's 70,000 a month. And it's wintertime, and people, you know, I had some libs say to me, oh, winter, winter in Texas, it's fine. It actually gets down into the 30s in the desert, you idiots. So this isn't when people particularly like to cross. It's better in some of the months that are ahead. So that's why the expectation is that there's going to be even more crossing. And oh, by the way, this is systematic. Meaning the word is out. The smugglers know it. Now the smugglers, the coyotes who work for the cartels, that are making hundreds of millions, now some would say billions for the drug cartels. Smugglers know all they have to do is get the family to the border and tell them what to say and make sure they have a kid with them. You know, create the perception of a family if they're not already a family. That's all they have to do. It's easy for them now because our system is now truly broken. People have been saying our immigration system is broken for years, and what they meant was, Oh, we need amnesty. I'm telling you it's broken because asylum is de facto open borders. That's what our law says right now. People say, oh, no, but well, they don't know what they're talking about because there'll be no interior enforcement. None of these people are going to be deported. It's just a question of how many people want to come and how many of them figure out the magic words to say at the border to come into the country. Released in 48 hours on a flight to Virginia. You think you think they're ever going to show up for their immigration hearing? Please. People will say that they will, but we now have, the, as the data comes in, the numbers are smaller and smaller. The numbers are going down, but 70,000 last month alone. There's also the issues of um, the medical cases they're seeing now at the border. I mean, it's, it, we, we do not have a border patrol that is set up for this. The fact that the media jumps all over them because someone will die in their custody because they're sick and they don't even know about it. They're not the Peace Corps. They're not the Red Cross. They're supposed to prevent illegal entry into the country. But now they're being told you're essentially a frontline triage and food service unit for all of the illegals who want to come in and claim asylum. Wow. That's where we are as a country right now. And that's what you have Republicans saying. I don't know if this is a national emergency or not. I don't think we should declare this as a national emergency. Uh, Only the only the GOP refuses to win, refuses to get it done and get its way. They like to tell us they will, but then they just fall down on the job time and again. Say what you will about the Democrats, their status, their authoritarians. But at least they're serious about implementing their iron fisted will on us. The Republicans just always collapse into this oh i'm the most pure i love the constitution more than you do and you know nothing actually happens i'm sorry it's true it's frustrating we'll be right back is there a crisis at the border well you 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 tell me let me let me give you a little Little vignette here from Washington Post reporting on this issue. I mean, the information's out there. It's just the way that it's packaged, the way that people are told to consume it and analyze it and think about it. That's where I think the breakdown is. The information's there, folks. 
about what's really happening at the border. Let me quote this to you. Across rural Guatemala, word has spread that those who travel with a child can be expected to be released from U.S. custody. Smugglers were offering two-for-one pricing, knowing they just needed to deliver clients to the border, not across it, for an easy surrender to U.S. agents. If this continues, I don't think there'll be anyone left in Guatemala, a man named Martinez joked. The men from his village near the town of Chiquimula were all leaving, he said, bringing a child with them. Martinez said he used the family home as collateral. He had four months to pay off the $2,500. I need a way to feed my family, and this is it, he said. Okay, folks. I mean, I know that the guy was kidding, but here's somebody saying, I don't think there's going to be anybody left in Guatemala. I was on Tucker Carlson's show when I pointed out, and then Tucker used this argument to great effect with his next guest, who is, of course, an open borders advocate of some kind or another. If the people showing up right now from Honduras and El Salvador, if they can rightly be qualified as asylum seekers, guess what? All of the people in Honduras, Nicaragua, El Salvador, Venezuela, why not Mexico? All of them can seek asylum here. And when the word gets out even more, and it's already getting out, and that's coming from the mouths of migrants themselves, what do you think is next? Do you think that Congress is going to grow a spine and change the law so that there is no longer this loophole for surrenders at our border? Of course not. This problem is going to get worse. We are going to see... At least a half a million, mark my words, at least a half a million surrenders and illegal uh, illegal entries this year in the country, and as many as a million. It's going to be a huge issue in the 2020 election, but here's the problem. A wall won't stop this. I've seen them. I've been at the wall while they surrendered. The wall is almost a beacon to these migrants now. Yes, there's the wall where I have to show up and wait for the nice men to come, pick me up, give me a warm blanket, and give me food and send me on my way into the American interior. That is our border. It's not the secure border we were promised, is it, folks? He's holding the line. For America, Buck Sexton is back. Well, I think there is direct evidence in the emails uh, from the Russians uh, through their intermediary offering dirt on Hillary Clinton as part of what is described in writing as the Russian government effort to help elect Donald Trump. Uh, They offer that dirt. Uh, There is an acceptance of that offer in writing from the president's son, Don Jr. Uh, And there's overt acts in furtherance of that. Uh, That is the meeting at Trump Tower and all the lies to cover up that meeting at the Trump Tower and apparently lies that the president participated in. That to me is direct evidence, but there's also abundant circumstantial evidence. Abundant circumstantial evidence, he says. Abundant circumstantial evidence, he says. Isn't that a fascinating way of putting it here? Uh, And direct evidence, we are told. Wait, I, I, I need to understand this. What is it that he has been able to find? What is it that Adam Schiff has been able to dredge up here 
that the Mueller probe has not been able to find? I mean, I think that's a really good question because we have not seen any of this evidence of direct collusion. We, we have not seen any of the things that he talks about. This is like watching a crazy person explain how they're actually, you know, the king of Siam or something. I mean, this is just outside the boundaries of normal political debate and discussion and discourse. What we see here is that they're just going to say whatever they think their base and the left and the ferociously anti-Trump media wants to hear. Oh, collusion has already been proven you see collusion is already a thing that we should be aware of because it's already there what and they're going to move right on from it though when you ask them show me the show me this collusion of which you speak they'll either mutter incoherently or move on to the next con the next series of of uh, narratives and nonsense that they'll be putting forward so John Cornyn, by the way, spoke to this. Play clip seven. I think what the Democrats are worried about now is that after all of the hysteria over the alleged collusion, that uh, they're worried the Mueller report will come up with uh, basically nothing against the president as regards collusion. So that's why I think they're launching this full frontal assault, which, um, as I said, is a prelude to impeachment and will make sure that we can't get anything else done. They're trying to come up with something, anything. They're going to rely on, from what I understand, a law from 1924 to try and pry open Trump's tax returns and to unseal what is supposed to be, as a private citizen, certainly, sealable. They're going to find some way. They'll take it all the way up to the Supreme Court, I'm sure. They're going to fight and fight and fight because they want Trump's tax returns. You might say, well, Buck, why is it such a problem for them to have Trump's tax returns. Let's understand this. The IRS already has them. The federal government already has these returns. This should be like Congress, you know, deciding that they're the ones who are going to understand, you know, tax law better than the IRS. So they have to see this because they'll be able to read between the lines, whereas the IRS couldn't. By the way, can you imagine if you're Donald Trump you know, the, the army of tax attorneys and lawyers and these other people that I'm sure you have working on these things. And what, you're going to have Democrat members of Congress that, that find, this is where they're going to find that smoking gun that we've all been worried about? I already talked to you yesterday about obstruction. People have completely lost their minds on that as well. The president says that it's a witch hunt. Well, that's probably because it is a witch hunt. But even beyond that, this line you hear from the Democrats that the president can't say that he thinks that something is bad for some reason. Um, yeah. And by the way, producer Mike makes a great point here with all the people in the IRS. I mean, if you're going to talk to me about an organization that probably has more than its fair share of statist anti-Trumpers, probably pretty high at the IRS. I'm not sure it's as bad as the State Department, which is full commie, but it's probably pretty close. If there was something that would that would nail Trump, that would just finally get even his most ardent defenders to turn on him. 
don't you think that somebody in the IRS would have already leaked it? He'd be a national hero, be a superstar. Guy be a millionaire, get a book deal, he'd be on Oprah, he'd be on, I was going to say Larry King, but that, oh no, he still has a show, doesn't he? Hey, it's Larry King, the only guy who could do the interviews. Uh, I know people still have his fondness for Larry King. What a, what a strange, strange fellow in so many ways. I think he was married seven times, which you got to give the guy, you know, that's, I don't know if it's endurance or if it's incredible vitality for a guy his age. But anyway, seven times. Um, but I digress. You know, they're going to find out whatever that they, you know, they're going to find ways to pry open some of these closed circuits. They're going to find a way to get access to information that they're not supposed to be able to see. And then they're going to make a big deal out of it no matter what's there. It doesn't matter what's there. Doesn't matter what Trump's tax returns say, they'll find something. Some, you know, oh, look at him with his his charitable donations. And yes, like, do I think it's a little, you know, a little not great that Trump had a charity buy a, a painting of him that he put up in a golf club? I mean, yeah, but you know, this is who this is who people signed on for. This is the Trump that we knew, so that's not gonna change. We signed on for an agenda and for a fighter against the left. That's it. I mean, uh, no, no, I don't think anyone's looking to Trump to be um, a model of perfection. By the way, no one's perfect. Don't even get me started. We, we were always led to be like, oh, Bush. You know, Bush was some guy who knew nothing in his past. I mean, look at what Romney has done now that the fighting is really tough within the GOP. Anyway, a lot that I would want to point to here to say that there's, uh, you know, reasons to reasons to be concerned about the direction of these investigations just because we are dealing with Democrats who have no honor, who have no integrity, and will do anything they can, whatever they can, to destroy this president. They, they will find a way, if it's open to them, to it doesn't matter if it requires leaking information, it doesn't matter, right? And they, they will, because for months it has been clear that neither Mueller nor the uh, anti-Trump mainstream was going to find this collusion, right? So they've been preparing this ground for a while. Democrats don't seem that upset about the fact that the Mueller probe is ending, though, because they've known that there was no collusion, really. They've known that that's where this was all heading. So now they're just going to move on to plan B, which is going to be turn Trump upside down, shake out his pockets, see what falls out. And everyone around him, by the way, Make sure that they're able to indulge this anti-Trump vendetta by going after his family members, by going after all kinds of people who are just in Trump's orbit. Make them pay all crazy legal fees, try to sully their reputations. They are trying to isolate this president. That is something that they are in the process of continuously in the process of doing. So this is going to be an onslaught. It's going to be an onslaught mostly of bluster. There will be a lot of preening monologues on the House floor. There'll be breathless, overwrought denunciations of Trump in private and personal life. Okay, this is what's going to happen. They're going to say that he's a threat to democracy. And and I do think that they're going to because they can't help themselves. They're going to have a vote on impeachment. They're going to because they want to run against an impeached president. 
But in the meantime, I was telling you earlier this hour about a real crisis, something that's actually happening in this country that that matters and that the government should fix. It is the government's prerogative. Only government can fix the border. You can't do it. I can't do it. We have no authority. We have no means. In fact, I'm sure the government would stop us from trying to help at the border right now. But they don't want to do that. And they don't want to focus on that. They have they have other concerns that take up more of their time and and energy. They want to make this about how the president is just the bad orange man, bad, bad, bad. Everyone needs to hate him. And I think that it's so destructive and we're not even going to be able to understand for years to come really what this has done to our sense of any fair play in government, any good faith between the political parties. And if, if that wasn't bad enough, I mean, do we have, didn't Hillary say that there was, oh yeah, oh yeah, hello, play clip two. There is enough grounds in what has already been made public for um, the government, for Congress in particular, to be doing more uh, with it. And I'm pleased that under uh, Speaker Pelosi, the Democrats are beginning to um, hold hearings and try to connect some of these dots. Yeah, that's what this is about. Connecting dots. You know, this is all about the Hillary revenge machinery. That's what this special counsel has been. That's what all these establishment elite types here in D.C. have been pushing for. Hillary was the candidate of the permanent ruling class. And the permanent ruling class feels a little a little bit unsettled because while there is the the hyper elite in terms of wealth, the stratification there is greater than ever. The uh, cult of expertise, the people that are supposed to be running our lives day to day, those in the upper reaches of government and journalism and the culture and the media, they're not looking so hot these days. People are asking questions. We have the ability now to not just find out more about these people because of the internet, but also to share that information more freely and we are not impressed. And there has been a recognition and part of what Trump's presidency has brought about is that recognition that these people that think that they are so much smarter than the rest of us and should be determining how you live your life. They're not really that smart. They don't they don't have some great trove of wisdom that they draw upon. That makes them very uncomfortable, makes them very insecure. Humility is not something that the elites embrace for obvious reasons. And Hillary was a last gasp, a last gasp, I think, for many of the elite boomer generation that the so-called smart set that went to the right schools and held the right opinions and never really did anything, but just kind of bounced around it. Look at these people, Elizabeth Warren, Hillary Clinton, Bernie Sanders, although he didn't really go to the fancy schools, but the, they, they, they've all just been pushed along without ever really accomplishing anything. They've just found a way to work the system, and then they expect to sit atop the system and tell the rest of us what to do. And that mentality spread all the way into the upper reaches of the FBI with people like Sanctacomi and McCabe 
and Strzok. They were the Praetorians defending the Republic from this rapacious, brash billionaire, Donald Trump. They thought they were doing us a favor by thwarting the will of the American people. Don't you see that? Aren't you all smart enough to see that, they would say? Can't you tell? Don't you understand? They're people persons. They're good with people. What the heck is wrong with you? That's what they would say. We'll be right back. Well, here's a a preview of where all this stuff is going to be going pretty soon. This in the New Yorker, which has completely just self-immolated in in its anti-Trump hatred as well. It used to at least have some good writing. Now it's just another anti-Trump rag. New Yorker, though, has this. Representative Adam Schiff, shifty Schiff, the chairman of the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, has hired a veteran prosecutor with experience fighting Russian organized crime to lead his investigation of the Trump administration. Last month, according to a committee source, Daniel Goldman, who served as an assistant United States attorney in the Southern District of New York from uh, 2007 to 2017, joined the committee's staff as a senior advisor and director of investigations. Oh, by the way, I believe before that he had been an MSN, or rather in the last year or so, he's been an MSNBC contributor. So now you get somebody from the Southern District of New York, which, as we know, is very devoted to this idea of taking down Trump. They're the ones that prosecuted Cohen. They're the ones who were involved in that. And they're the great hope of many libs who, even when the Mueller probe is over, are going to say, ah, see, but the Southern District of New York can get him. This is how libs approach all of this. Get him. How can we get Trump? Not how can we make a better argument? How can we create some uh, public support for our ideas? No, no, no. Let's just destroy Trump because their ideas are crazy. In fact, we've reached a point now where Democrats find it abusive when you share their word for word ideas for governance and you quote them and you tell people about what the Democrats want. That's mean. Because when people find out what the Democrats want, things like the Green New Deal, no more cow farts, no more air travel. People say, that sounds kind of crazy. I mean, cows, they shouldn't fart so much, but they're delicious. You eat them, you don't smell the smelly farts when you're eating them. So what difference does it make but climate change, you know? Bernie's conflicted. He likes a good cheeseburger. Who doesn't like it? Well, there are some people out there. Ocasio-Cortez. I'm starting to see this spill over now. The the anti-meat crusade is, is gaining some steam. I think they lose a lot of votes if they really go down that one too far. By the way, we're going to have someone joining us uh, later on in the show to give you a sense where this is going. Uh, where this is going. My friend Ariel Davidson from The Federalist will be talking to us in the next hour about Ilhan Omar. And then the third hour, we have somebody who is from a the CO2 coalition. He's going to come talk to us about how he's crunched all the numbers. He's a Ph.D. statistician on climate change. And he says that the fear mongering is just out of is just out of this world. It's completely unsupported by the facts. Uh, I think you'll really, really want to hear what what he has to say. 
So we have a, a jam-packed and stacked show for you. And uh, in the next hour, I've got some other... I've, got, I've always got some tricks up my sleeve. I hope you enjoyed the conversation yesterday about rent control. Go back. If you didn't get a chance, I think that was a really important segment for people to hear because if it shows you how liberals do economics, which is badly. There are a few things that feel better than that found money, right? You get a $20 bill that you find in the back pocket of your pants, or all of a sudden you realize, uh, wait a second, I've actually got some money from a 401k that I had in a job a few years ago. I haven't really done anything with it, right? And it's just sitting there. Well, guess what? That money is gathering financial dust, but it doesn't have to. It could be working much harder for you in a precious metals IRA. My friends at Noble Gold can see if you qualify, and they'll do all the heavy lifting for you, making you thousands, and it could cost you nothing. Give Noble Gold a call at 877-646-5347 or text my name, that's Buck, to 511-511. That's right, just text B-U-C-K to 511-511 and you'll receive their free investor's guide. Plus, for all qualified IRAs above $20,000, they'll include a rare complimentary Morgan Silver Dollar valued at $150. Again, you can go to noblegoldinvestments.com or Buck. Text it to 511-511. Individual results may vary. Invest wisely. Standard text rates may apply. Do you have any comment on the FEC violation uh, filed against your office? Uh, there is no violation, so there's no violation. Do you think that's a sign of you taking dark money? Oh, no. no. Uh-oh. What's going on here with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who... I feel like increasingly is the Joffrey from Game of Thrones of the Democratic Party in that she's young, she's ignorant, but she has way too much influence and really doesn't know how dumb she is, uh, which is a scary combination when you add all that together. But Ocasio-Cortez is, at least for now, getting a little bit of uh, negative attention because some interesting facts have come out about how she rose into this role, who backed her, and what was done in that whole process. Let me break this down for you. Uh, she has a gentleman named Sayakat Chakrabarti, who is a wealthy tech entrepreneur and is chief of staff to Ocasio-Cortez. Uh, there is a new FEC, a Federal Election Commission complaint. Now, before you dismiss this, remember, the libs want to get rid of Trump from being president because of a a minor FEC violation about you know whether he disclosed the payment that should have been disclosed to Stormy Daniels or was it a private payment that doesn't have to be disclosed. So, you know, libs use the FEC as aggressively as they can when it's in their favor. But here I'm sure that they will. Uh, say that this conservative watchdog group's FEC complaint, that, remember, this is this is coming from a conservative group. Let's let's be honest about what's happening here. But they'll say, oh, who cares? It's nothing. It's a nothing burger. And I got to tell you, it is um, it is very interesting just to find out some of these facts. Uh, first of all, the chief of staff to Ocasio-Cortez is a young guy who made millions in Silicon Valley. Oh, wait, you mean that this guy who is now at the, you know, the the forefront in many ways of left wing politics in America as the chief of staff and close aide to Ocasio-Cortez. You're telling me this guy 
is such a socialist that before he could try to impose socialism and all the rest of us, he was a, quote, founding engineer at a a company that does payment processing out of Silicon Valley called Stripe. And he also had a brief stint, according to Politico, on Wall Street. So a Wall Street Silicon Valley millionaire makes his money and then decides that he wants to get involved in politics. So, so, so he makes his millions by 33. And now he wants to tell you about what you should pay in taxes and what, what the government should be able to tell you you can and can't do and all this stuff, right? I find this troubling. Uh, I find it, of course, hypocritical because this is what the Democrats always do. You know, are millionaires, conservative millionaires, bad? Liberal millionaires, good. You know, behind so many of these left-wing causes and activist groups and, and progressive, you know, community organizers, you have people that made a whole lot of money in the system that they now try to fundamentally transform and are very critical of. You know, I, I got to tell you, I would be a lot more inclined on a personal level to be okay with taxes uh, going up if I had already made my 50 million or my 10 million. I'd say, eh, you know, it probably doesn't matter as much to me. I've got assets. I've got income that I don't have to work for. But as that is not the case, as I am like most of you who are listening to this show, uh, I, I think it's really unfair that the government takes as much from me as I'm sure you do as well as it does. Um, but this is classic, right? This is the let them let them eat cake phenomenon among some of the most left wing socialist commie Democrats out there. But let me give you the uh, the additional. So that's just just start with the fact that our chief of staff is a Silicon Valley millionaire and that some of the most progressive grassroots activists out there are getting checks from from millionaires and even billionaires millionaires and billionaires as bernie would say even billionaires this guy pierre omidyar he's funding all kinds of left-wing stuff i mean the washington post is owned by jeff bezos so it is essentially an unregistered political action committee for anything amazon or jeff bezos related right i mean this is you know people need to understand that that the media is now a tool that is used by a lot of different people for very specific purposes. And just being in the media is in no way some sort of guarantee of ethics, authenticity, independence. In fact, some of the worst never-Trumpers get their money from this Omidyar fellow who founded eBay, so he's a super wealthy guy. Uh, they get their money from him, and so he writes them checks to be essentially a Trojan horse within the Rep Republican Party or within conservative media, at least. And uh, some of the most uh, detestable never-Trumpers, they get their money from Omidyar. Sykes, Crystal, this is who's funding them. A left-wing billionaire, folks. I, I think that's significant. So remember that as you hear from the never-Trumpers, we're all about principle. We're all about, you know, doing what's right. We don't like Trump because he's mean and he had three wives. Well, there's more at stake than Trump's uh, marital history in this country. I hate to break it to the never-Trumpers. Back to this piece, though, and it's a bombshell. Fox News all over it, Washington Examiner all over it, New York Post all over it. This is what Fox wrote about this. The latest Federal Election Commission complaint 
accuses Ocasio-Cortez and Chakrabarti, her chief of staff, of violating campaign finance law by funneling nearly $1 million in contributions from political action committees that Chakrabarti established to private companies he also controlled. Although large financial transfers to PACs from limited liability corporations are not necessarily improper, the complaint argues that the goal of the extensive scheme was seemingly to illegally dodge detailed legal reporting requirements of the Federal Election Campaign Act of 1971, which are designed to track campaign expenditures. Ocasio-Cortez, of course, says there is no campaign finance violation. Well, we will see. We will see. Even if there's no violation of the law, per se, this starts to look a lot like Ocasio-Cortez was trying to do the equivalent in politics of stashing your cash in an offshore account. Now, that can be legal if you declare it, right? But usually people do this to avoid scrutiny. And I, I have to say, I think it's, it's particularly interesting that the progressive vanguard led by Ocasio-Cortez now has to deal with, at least momentarily, the reality that a Silicon Valley millionaire is at the heart of this and that a very, at best, opaque and intentionally opaque system of hiding where funds are going was set up here. You know, this is the woman who's supposed to be all about, you know, taking on the elites and the the Wall Street class. And, you know, Democrats are so, so bizarre in this because they take money from Wall Street. Hillary Clinton got all the Wall Street money in the last election, all of it. Billy, there, you know, think of a billionaire and the chances are the billionaire is a liberal. I mean, at least most of the ones you know of are liberals. There are some conservatives. There's the Koch brothers. They're, they're libertarians. They're not really liberals I mean, or, or conservatives, rather. Um, but, you know, you want to talk about liberal billionaires they are all over the place. Gates is a lib. Bloomberg is a lib. Oprah is a lib. You know, just go down the list. Every billionaire you can think of. Three out of four, maybe even nine out of ten are liberals. But, but money in politics is this mantra that the Democrats chant as though it's only on our side, right? Oh, we want to get the money out of politics. Uh, seems to me to be very, very uh, convenient for them. They, they say this, and then we find out that they have plenty of money in politics for them. And that, I think, is a, uh, an obvious place where you see this liberal hypocrisy Uh, Coming to the surface, by the way, since we're talking about AOC um, and communism and socialism, which are much closer than the left wants to believe. In fact, the early communists referred to themselves because I actually read this stuff. I have actually read Marx. I bet you AOC has never actually read an entire. If you asked her to go through the works of Marx and Engels, it would be laughable how little she knows. She just knows the very surface layer of it. I wonder if she even knows who Engels is. And I mean that. But the very surface layer of socialism as an ideology and where it comes from. She just knows the MSNBC watered down version. If it's just like free stuff for people and it's great. But she has a clear uh, preference for not just the far left in this country, which she is now the leader of the de facto leader of the far left. But she does not want to denounce 
her fellow travelers, her quasi-commies like Venezuela's Maduro. Play 15. What are your thoughts on the Venezuelan crisis that's happening yeah. right now? Maybe you would denounce the Maduro regime. Yeah, so I think that, that this is absolutely a complex issue. I think it's important that, uh, that we approach this very carefully. One, I am... Um, I'm a, myself, just like anyone else, who is absolutely concerned with the humanitarian crisis that's happening. And I think it's important that any solution that we have centers the Venezuelan people and centers the democracy of, of Venezuelan people first. I am very concerned about U.S. interventionism in Venezuela, and I oppose it, especially when we talk about um, a figure like U.S. Special Envoy Elliot Abrams here. Um, I think it's He's pled guilty uh, to several crimes related to Iran-Contra, particularly under this administration and under his leadership. I think it's a profound mistake. Wow. Asked about Maduro. And what does she do? Denounce the Trump administration's envoy to deal with the Venezuela crisis. You see, in AOC land, Maduro isn't the bad guy. Elliot Abrams is the bad guy. Huh. I wonder what Ilhan Omar would have to say about Elliot Abrams, by the way. I'm sure she's already weighed in on it. I'm sure we could probably find that. Uh, But that tells you a lot about the left. The problem is not Nicolas Maduro and the destruction of Venezuela at his hands. It's Elliot Abrams trying to feed people. So I know we have a lot of patriotic seniors who listen to this show, and some of them have probably heard of the AARP. Maybe some of them are already members. But let me tell you. AARP is much more left wing than you've been led to believe. And that's why they fought tooth and nail for government run health care. And they actually scripted portions of White House speeches under the Obama administration to get Obamacare passed. You don't want that. What you want is AMAC. Why AMAC? Well, it was founded by an Air Force veteran. And you get all of the benefits of AARP with AMAC, but you also get an organization that shares your beliefs and pushes for policies that are going to help support the America you believe in. So, yeah, you get discounts on car insurance, hotels, roadside assistance, but also you get an organization that wants a secure border, fiscal sanity, strong defense. Check out AMAC. Join AMAC right now at amac.us slash buck. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S slash buck. I want to talk about the political influence in this country that says it is okay for people to push for allegiance to a foreign country. Allegiance to a foreign country, Representative Ilhan Omar says. Hmm. Talking about Israel there. This is not something that... Usually people bring up because it has the ring of anti-Semitism to it. Uh, And a lot of people, including Democrats, are pretty upset about this. But I've got somebody who has been following this controversy closely. She's been uh, vocal about it on Twitter. And uh, she joins us now. Ariel Davidson is a senior writer for The Federalist. You can read her latest at thefederalist.com. You can follow her on Twitter at Ariel Davidson. Ariel, good of you to join us. Thanks for having me, Buck. All right. So what's going on here? Why is why is uh, Representative Omar on the hot seat once again? Well, she's on the hot seat once again. You hit the nail on the head. She's basically calling upon or calling to issued with the fact that for some reason, the allegiance with Israel that the United States has is a question of patriotism for those who actually support Israel. Um, And we don't talk about any other alliance that we have with any other nation in this regard. And so I think 
first and foremost, when we talk about anti-Semitic tropes, the dual, dual loyalty one is probably the most one of the most common ones that's existed for hundreds of years. It's this idea that uh, you have to question, particularly with Jewish members of Congress, that you have to question whether they have loyalty to the United States or whether they have loyalty to Israel. So I think it's hugely problematic. Um, and again, think about the way she talks about our alliances with other nations. Do we question when people, you know, sign some sort of, when we have some sort of treaty with the UK or with France, do we ever mention this idea of dual loyalty? We never would. It's outrageous. So the House Democrats, this was the, the story from today and, and yesterday, that the House Democrats are taking floor action in order to condemn the comments of Ilan Omar. Uh, obviously, I, I'm going I'm to guess you, you agree with, with this, Ariel, but, but is it enough? Some have said that she should lose committee assignments, that there should be something beyond just what we've seen, especially given that comments made by... Uh, a, a Republican, I'm actually blanking on the guy's name right now in real time, but uh, comments made by a Republican not long ago got him kicked off of his committee. Steve King, there we go, got him Steve kicked King, off his yeah. committee assignments. Yeah, no, I actually, I, I disagree with the resolution because I think it's just empty virtue signaling. I think that Nancy Pelosi is bringing this resolution to the floor because she's concerned and worried about the image of her party, but she's not actually taking any real concrete action to eliminate anti-Semitism from her party. Uh, you know, a good friend of mine, a Josh, Josh Hammer, wrote an article at the Daily Wire that discussed sort of the corporatization of the Democratic Party. And I myself have wrote about this as well, this idea that you're not actually condemning anti-Semitism if you're not taking concrete action against those who perpetuate it within your party. So if Nancy Pelosi were really serious about addressing anti-Semitism, she would be removing Ilhan Omar from the House Foreign Affairs Committee. And we don't see that happening. You would strip her from her leadership position. And so far, I haven't seen any indication that that's going to happen. We're speaking to Ariel Davidson of The Federalist. You can also follow her on Twitter. Ariel, do you think that the uh, that there's a double standard, not just because Ilhan Omar is a Democrat, but because she is a female and she is a Muslim and she is a an ethnic minority in this country as well? I definitely think there's a double standard, but I'm not sure where quite where it's stemming from. What's been most concerning to me is that she's been treated sort of like a child. This woman is 37 years old. She is an adult. When she makes inappropriate anti-Semitic comments, she should be treated as such. I think there's this weird uh, sort of attitude, especially within the media, to, to coddle her and to really have this sort of permissive, apologetic attitude. And I think it's completely inappropriate. Uh, and I think it's really for shame in terms of how the Democrats have responded to it. I think Nancy Pelosi um, has said that she's going, you know, she's going to have conversations with Ilhan Omar, which she has done. Uh, but it's sort of the way you would talk about discussing uh, a child when they misbehave, right? You're not. It, it seems like the way she's she's been treated is as if she's a child. Does does anti-Semitism have a have a particular uh, perch within the left these days that is that is new and that is worsening in your view, or are we just discovering? You know, people think about uh, the, the the connections between, say. Uh, Louis Farrakhan and prominent members of the Democratic Party. Are we just more aware of this now, or is it getting worse? I think that it's being brought to light a lot more. This has been something that's plagued the Democratic Party back to the 60s. Uh, it's just being brought into light much more now, especially with the Women's March. I think that really opens things up. If you recall back, uh, the two, I think two leaders of the Women's March had ties to Louis Farrakhan, one of them calling her him her mentor, uh, you'll also see that they actually pushed out 
they wanted a Jewish flag removed from one of the marches events. So I do think that there's a a sense in which anti-Semitism is creeping to the forefront of the Democratic Party. But now, with people like Ilan Omar, actually being institutionalized, right? It's not just far-left progressive groups that have anti-Semites within them. We're actually seeing real anti-Semites being promoted to positions of power within Congress. And that, to me, is what's probably more disturbing, because I'm less worried about these fringe groups. Um, you know, I do think they're a problem, but it's they're less of a problem than the institutional anti-Semitism that we're Ariel seeing Ariel Davidson of The Federalist, everybody. Check out our work at thefederalist.com. Ariel, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. How many of you feel that the time is right for a progressive and that's what would win? Carol? We're ready for progressive candidates. They've won all over the country. Um, and I think we need bold, strong leadership. And you'll find that in the progressives. I think that we had the standard bearer for the, the kind of pragmatic uh, centrist candidate in Hillary Clinton in 2016, and Donald Trump is now the president. How many of you would like to see Joe Biden get in? Show of hands. What's happening, Russell? <laughs> oh, His so, time is done. I'll be honest. I, Senator Biden really comes from the kind of the good old boy politics right. of the past. I don't think Joe Biden represents that new thing that we need. Mm-hmm. We He's just behind. we need a new economy. We need a new yeah. politics and yeah. we need someone different. I'm telling you, the Democrats have created a progressive monster and they're just figuring this out now. They they have fed the most radical elements of their party two years of all this crazy propaganda in an effort to just just stoke the base's fury against Trump. They have propped up these ideas because they really don't have a a Hillary Clinton-esque platform to run against trump right they what what are they going to say what has trump done that is so terrible what what are they here's what you really have to look at what are the democrats better ideas if they're just going to tinker with what republicans are already doing i think a lot of people would rather have a businessman trump than have some career politician who just wants maybe slightly higher taxes and a little bit more of the same so the Democrats have gone far left as a means of trying to build up this opposition to Trump and to give themselves something to to rally around other than the Mueller probe, which, as we know, is probably going to end here in a few weeks. Thinking about all of this and what I what I see happening is that on the left now or, or with the Democrats, they realize that from their left, the, the, the leader of the party isn't really Nancy Pelosi, it's Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. That's where people should be looking for where this is all heading. And that's why, look, this is a little focus group we just played you from CNN where they say, you know, Biden's time has passed. But I I don't think that that little focus group is wrong. I don't think that the Democrats are going to put forward Joe Biden. First of all, Joe Biden, as I've been saying, is a mediocrity who has been riding on the Obama coattails ever since, you know, Obama left office and rode on them for eight years while Obama was in office and was never able to get more than, I think, one percent of the vote when he was running for president before. And there's nothing inspiring about him or or particularly interesting about him. In fact, what's most interesting about Joe Biden is that if you look back at many of his quips to the media, the social justice woke left is not going to be in any mood whatsoever 
to try to run interference for this guy the way they used to, right? It used to be, okay, well, he's going to be the elder statesman that's kind of there for window dressing in the background while Obama is doing his progressive radical socialist thing here as much as he can. And, and so they were willing to say, oh, when Biden makes what they would call a racist comment, Oh, that's just Joe being Joe. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Media would do this all the time. Oh, crazy Uncle Joe. If a Republican said the same thing, they'd be, oh, my gosh, he must resign. He should be fired, tarred and feathered. But when a Democrat does it, it's, you know, it, well, when, when Joe Biden does it, at least they're willing to try and prop him up. But the Democrats, they have not yet, I think, the, the Democrat establishment hasn't figured out that the usual, okay, you you play to your base, but then you head to the center. I don't think there's going to be any heading to the center with whoever comes out of this pack of Democrats. Because to win enough of the base that you beat the rest of this mountain of really B and C team candidates, you're going to have to really stick out. The way to stick out is to be hardcore on these left-wing progressive policies. And I just don't think that that's going to leave room for anybody who's going to be a kind of Clinton-esque pseudo-centrist. I mean, the Clintons aren't really centrist. I mean, Hillary Clinton used to describe herself in the 90s as a progressive, believe it or not, or maybe around 2000. That's what she would have said. Uh, But she's not progressive compared to what you're talking about today. I mean, you know, the, the Democrats circa 2000 were a party of, yes, you know, enlarging the welfare state and, and, you know, not enforcing immigration laws against illegals. And there's, I mean, now the Democrats are full on socialism, open borders, uh, you know, Green New Deal insanity, uh, infanticide through law. I mean, willingness to have people abort babies outside the womb, which is another way of saying kill them, murder them. I mean, this, this is what the Democratic Party has become. You know, 37 genders, Whatever you say you are, you know, plural pronoun, if you want a plural pronoun, transgender kids, this is something that should be encouraged and celebrated. I mean, the Democratic Party has really lost its mind in the same way that they've lost their mind on issues of climate change, which we're going to get into in some depth in the next hour. I think you're really going to appreciate the uh, the guest that I'm going to bring on because he has a, a real background in this stuff and a very worthwhile point of view on what's going on with with climate and climate change and the the hysteria around it but the democratic party is not the party of joe biden anymore that's what i think is uh you know really in my view the recognition that they kind of refuse to have you know yes they're going to try kamala harris and they're going to try uh, cory booker and a few other you know, Democrats that are going to talk a big progressive game. But I, I don't think that that's going to work this time around. I mean, I, I really do think you're looking at a I think you're looking at a Bernie Sanders esque uh, candidate who wins this. And maybe it's Beto. That's right. I just like I just want to get rid of all of the fossil fuels. Except for my wife's private jet, because like that's really important because I just like don't really know what to do without it. Uh, you know, they're going to have somebody who's far left. So, you know, Elizabeth Warren, for example, even though I think she's self-humiliated herself beyond beyond the point of political redemption. I, I do believe that, although she she was you know, she's still hanging in there. She had uh, she talked to David Axelrod 
on on I guess his podcast or his show or whatever he's got, and she was asked about her her ancestry, and here's what she said. Play clip one. The question that I, I've never understood mm-hmm. is why did you check check those boxes? Because obviously that's a very small part of of your of your lineage, you know, one thirty second or something. So why why did you do it? Decades ago. I sometimes identified as Native American. It's, it's, it, there, it never had anything to do with any job that I ever got. That's been fully documented. Got to tell you, I, I spoke to a, a private citizen recently, so cannot, you know, cannot say more than that. But I spoke to a private citizen who uh, studied at Harvard Law School and had Elizabeth Warren as a professor. And... He told me straight up that Elizabeth Warren in class would refer to herself as a Native American uh, bankruptcy expert from Oklahoma. So th- this idea that it was like a, a little a little a little nothing burger. No, no, no. This was a part of her whole mystique. This is how she was creating this persona of of somebody who. Harvard should be putting forward and, and should get these very difficult to come by and very prestigious and I would add well paid positions. I mean, Harvard law professors, I think, start off at a quarter of a million dollars a year, 250 grand. Let's start out at that. So they make a lot of money, folks. Uh, she, so they, it wasn't a secret. She used it to advance herself. And all, all this all this effort to try to cover that up is just pathetic from the media. Uh, my favorite was the Boston Globe's super thorough investigation of this, where they asked the hiring committee at Harvard, did it come up that she was Native American? And everybody said no, except for one guy who said, oh, yeah, that came up. And then they went back to him and asked him again. And sure enough, he said, oh, I must have been mistaken because he didn't, you know, he didn't want the Boston Globe to boil his rabbit, so to speak. You know, he, he didn't want the people to come after him, make an example of him for his wrong think. On Elizabeth Warren's past. But this is what the Democrats offer up. And these are the candidates they offer up. And and we're supposed to think that this is going to be better than Trump. Why would any of these people be better than Trump? In what way? Elizabeth Warren, who's a millionaire, who talks endlessly about soaking the rich. Uh, she's, she's, She's a millionaire who also is a bankruptcy expert that as I understand it from, again, people that studied with her as, as a, you know, when she was doing bankruptcy law as teaching that uh, her whole thing of bankruptcy is that it should really just be a socialized cost, meaning that the costs are passed on to society. that People shouldn't have to suffer for the decisions that they make that lead to bankruptcy. Huh. That's going to be an interesting perspective. That's going to really help the lending industry, isn't it? Anyway, there's there's a lot more I could go on this one, but you, you get the basics here. The Democrats uh, are the party of wackos now. And I think even some of them are just finally figuring that out. Donald Trump wants to divide us up based on the color of our skin. This is a time, my friends, when fundamental rights, civic virtue, freedom of the press, the rule of law, truth, facts and reason are under assault. And make no mistake. We are living through a full-fledged crisis in our democracy. I realize that what's happening in this country is devastating. I mean, President Trump has created such division, such darkness, such hate. 
It's so terrible. Oh my gosh, what are we going to do? It's like dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria, Bernie is so upset. Trump creates darkness, division, hate. He doesn't replace the ice cubes in the ice cube tray. He sometimes will drink all the milk, but put the carton back in the fridge. Who does that? What kind of savage puts the milk carton empty back in the fridge? Sometimes he even watches an iPad on the Acela without headphones. I kid you not. I cannot make this up. They really, really hate Donald Trump. I mean, they think that Donald Trump is is like the Antichrist, although a lot of these Democrats obviously don't believe in Christ, but that's a conversation for another time. They really do believe that he is some kind of lord of, of darkness. I, I don't think it's possible for them to be such good actors. I'm not saying all of them. Some of them are actors, but some of them are faking it. That's why when they ask these questions about whether or not they're going to impeach Donald Trump. I just think this is funny um, because, of course, they want to impeach Donald Trump. It has nothing to do with what they find in the Mueller probe or in these other investigations. They just want to impeach him to impeach him. And the only thing that holds them back now is the pure political calculation over whether or not it would help them in terms of power, help them be in control, the Democrats. There, there's no principle at stake here for them. There's nothing beyond just do the Democrats think that impeachment will help them win in 2020. That's it. That's why I have to laugh when Katie Turr over at MSNBC is asking Sheila Jackson Lee about this. Play clip four. This probe is looking into obstruction of justice, public corruption, and abuse of power. Is this an impeachment hearing in everything but name? So when Chairman Nadler said he is building a public record, you're basically saying that you're building a public record that could lead you to full-on impeachment hearings. You say there's uh, so evidence of obstruction. If there is evidence of a crime that's been committed, do you think that that should lead to impeachment? Just want to delve in a little deeper and, and see where the line is when it comes to impeachment and whether it's only a political process. If he's found to be guilty of violating the Constitution, is it Congress's duty to impeach him or to try to impeach him? I'm just yes. wondering if... A lot of talk about impeachment there. Keeps keeps asking about impeachment. You know, just, ooh, it gets, gets the audience all excited. Will they impeach him, please? Please, oh, please. That would be so fantastic if they impeach him. I mean, I think it's clearly a bad, a bad idea for them. I don't even mean it's a bad idea because it's unfair and it's wrong, which I obviously agree. I think it's a bad idea for them. But they have such a different view of what has happened in the last two years than the, than the non-insane Democrat Party, right? I mean, or than people that are outside of the insane Democrat Party. It sounds like the insane clown posse when I say it like that. The insane Democrat Party. Uh, but just hear Trump, for example, give his view of what really has been going on in America. You know, uh, you know, on the one hand, you hear about how he's dividing hate, darkness, evil, all this really. And based on what? What do they point to? A couple of a couple of tweets where he made fun of Jim Acosta, where he called Richard Blumenthal Denang Dick. I mean, what, what is so terrible that Trump has done as president that upset? You know, where's the war that he started that he shouldn't have? Where is the the uh, gut-wrenching policy decision that has had ramifications that will last for generations. Other presidents have done that and have messed up big time. What is it with Trump? That hasn't happened. 
economy's really strong. We're at a in a period of relative peace. I'd like us to be at absolute, you know, at, at no more combat operations overseas. But we're in a period of relative peace. No major combat operations going on right now overseas. And uh, as I said, that should be even stronger than it is. But here, here's Trump's view. And I, I think it's important to hear it because you don't get it from the media. Play nine. More people are working today in the United States than ever before in the history of our country. We've slashed 30,000 pages of job killing regulations from the Federal Register. That's an all time record of the history of the United States. We passed the largest package of tax cuts and reforms in American history. We're renegotiating right now horrible trade deals that we're cracking down, and we are really doing the number, cracking down on countries that cheat and standing up for the American worker for the first time in many, many decades. That doesn't sound like destroying the country and being evil and all these other things that Democrats say. That, that, that all sounds pretty good. And those are just he's reciting facts. He did slash regulations. He did pass a tax cut. Jobs have been growing. He is re- renegotiating old and outdated trade deals. He is trying to help the American worker. I mean, these are all things that he's actively doing or things that are just a matter of fact. But yet the Democrats try to tell everybody that the country, it's so terrible, it's so horrible. And all these, it is like they're living in an alternative reality. And it's a little scary because when we talk about the climate change stuff coming up, you realize they are living in an alternative reality. They've created it for themselves. If you're hiring or if you have a property that you need to lease out, if you're going to engage in a business transaction with another party, you need to make sure that you know who you're dealing with. That's where background investigations and vetting comes into play. And the best people in that field are my friends at Global Verification Network. They are the only dual certified and veteran owned company in the space. So when you need background checks to be done efficiently, quickly, well and discreetly, You want to call a global verification network. They don't offshore their stuff. A lot of other companies out there will. They don't send stuff overseas for other people to do and then pretend that they've been doing the work in-house. Their risk mitigation experts across the country will handle your casework themselves. Give them a call. 877-695-1179. Again, 877-695-1179. Or... Go to MyGVN.com. Again, that's MyGVN.com. General Scaparotti and General Lyons, do you agree with the intelligence community's assessment of the climate change threat? I do, and I believe that, as you noted, much of this will be drivers for potential conflict or at least very difficult situations that, that nations have to deal with. The second, I would point you to the high north. And that's the increasing open, opening of the, uh, the northern sea route mm-hmm. and uh, the challenges that presents from a security perspective. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. General Lyons, do you also agree? Ma'am, I agree. Uh, these are sources of conflict, and we certainly have to be prepared to respond to them. Good. Elizabeth Warren there asking a couple of generals if they agree about the threat of climate change to national security. Uh, Sounds kind of crazy to me, uh, but I want to bring on a a different voice here, Um, one that can can speak to this from uh, a number of perspectives that I think you don't usually hear. Dr. Caleb Rossiter is with us now. He is from the CO2 Coalition, and he's going to talk to us about what he thinks is really going on with all this climate change alarmism. Dr. Rossiter, thank you so much. 
Uh, Buck, it's a treat to be with you today. Thank you for the opportunity to talk a little about climate science, which most people run shrieking from the second they hear the words. So right now, obviously, with the Green New Deal, a lot of people are paying attention to this. Before we get into what your position on this is, what is your background on on the issue of climate change and, and who are the individuals you work with? You know, give us kind of a quick overview at the CO2 coalition, which is obviously people are going to say a CO2 coalition. I thought CO2 was the enemy, but go ahead. Uh, the founder of this coalition you'll hear about in the news right now, uh, Professor Will Happer, a physics uh, professor at Princeton, uh, has left us because he's become President Trump's new national security advisor for emerging technologies. Uh, Will, Will Happer, is the one who's trying to promote uh, a, a looking, a relook by the White House panel of scientists at these claims that uh, carbon dioxide has created a national security climate catastrophe. So you can see where our group is coming from. Uh, we're composed of scientists. Brother, is, is he a scientist? I mean, people are going to ask, you, you know how this always goes. Well, does he have a science background? Are you kidding? Will Happer is one of America's most distinguished physicists. Uh, he ran the science office under President Bush, uh, the first President Bush, in the White House. Um, our president currently replacing him, uh, Richard Lindzen, is an atmospheric physicist at MIT. Uh, one of, has won all the awards for his work on atmospheric dynamics. These people are with us because they used to be with the UN body that makes these wild claims as AOC said, that we're all going to be dead in 12 years. They left that body uh, in disgust, uh, in horror, at the politicization of science. Um, that's really why they're with us. They want to talk about the science, but the science has been badly, badly perverted. So tell me then about, and, and I'm glad, see, this is, this is necessary, though, because as you know, you hear these things like, no, no scientist, people will say, who are in the alarmist camp here, or the catastrophist camp, as I call it, no scientist claims that this isn't really a threat. No real. And then I'll, I'll actually name Richard Lindzen, a name that I know from his previous published work on this issue. And they say, well, that doesn't count. I said, oh, an MIT climatologist, that, that doesn't count. OK, well, you know, now now we're really getting somewhere. Um, but now that we've established that the group that you are with has people with exactly the kind of scientific credentials that should be and must be taken seriously on this issue by the rest of the science and policy community. Tell me what the CO2 coalition is all about. These are scientists, uh, statisticians like myself, uh, um, agronomists, physicists, uh, energy economists who want to have a rational public debate about the impact of industrial carbon dioxide for the last 150 years um, on the planet. And the bait and switch is what I think is confusing um, your, your, your listeners in general, all people in America in general, Buck, because there is a scientific consensus that carbon dioxide is a warming gas. There are physical reasons why it vibrates at the same speed as, you know, heat leaving the earth. Uh, but that's it. That's the end of the consensus. How much the warming comes from, from carbon dioxide being increased by a third over the last 150 years is impossible to assess. We have tried. And Let's get to the real topic. What effect does that have on catastrophic variables like floods and droughts and sea level and all that? that there's no consensus on that. This is the bait and switch. When Elizabeth Warren is talking to the intelligence community and the military about climate change, you notice they never said the words fossil fuels, CO2, or industrial emissions. Climate changes all the time, and it certainly can be a threat if there's a drought 
or a lot of storms. But uh, there's no data to indicate that there's been an increase in those climate catastrophe variables, what we call bad weather, since 1900. Now, is there also an argument to be made that increased CO2 has some good byproducts, some good side effects? I've heard this before, but I want to know if that's a case that you make. Uh Aha. I'm holding in my hand a brand new white paper that probably America's finest uh, atmospheric agronomist named Craig Idso just put out for us. Um, You know, it wasn't to get plant productivity. It wasn't to get fertilization of crops by industrial carbon dioxide that we entered the fossil fuel era. Obviously, we did it to get cheap, reliable power to you know, power our health and wealth. But just as people pump CO2 into greenhouses to make uh, their plants grow there, it turns out, this review of all the most uh, relevant new f- field research, that the 33% increase in CO2 since about 1900 has boosted the productivity of the world's crops by between 15 and 30%. So that has huge implications for places where there's difficulty having their populations get fed. It's like an added bonus we get from the economic growth of fossil fuels is it's plant food. It's been good, and it's going to stay good, and it's going to get better as CO2 levels go up. So for the non-science folks in the audience here, including myself, so there's more CO2 in the air, which plants need, and plants then expel what oxygen through photosynthesis right and so essentially this is a good thing for plant life it's a fantastic thing for plant life for three quick reasons i won't bore you with it but not only do you get 15 to 30 percent more plant growth so far and more to come you need less water because when the plants uh, have higher co2 levels they, they they don't perspire shall we say so much and you need less fertilizer uh, again, this is why people use greenhouses you know, and pay for carbon dioxide to be put in their greenhouses. We essentially have created that effect. So it's a nice little bonus. <clears throat> but that doesn't mean that the crucial issue still doesn't remain uh, if we're going to be using fossil fuels. Do they create a climate catastrophe? And the data say so far, and I'm open to the data, I'm a climate statistician, they haven't. They, and, and the reports that Ms. Warren would be citing... Uh, if you actually read the studies, which is what we do, that the exaggerations come out of show that there is no statistically significant increase uh, in storms, rate of sea level rise, um, uh, droughts since 1900. And, you know, it stands to reason. The temperature's only gone up one degree worldwide on average since 1900. Maybe half of that has been based on carbon dioxide. The other half, the scientific consensus agrees was natural because it happened before 1945 when there wasn't much CO2 being pumped. Um, You know, not necessarily would you get a huge uh, climate result from raising the temperature one degree. That's like moving maybe from D.C. down to Lynchburg, you know? Yeah, well, we're talking to Dr. Caleb Rossiter, everybody. And and Dr. Rossiter, I I find this really interesting. And uh, all this makes perfect sense to me. In fact, this is this is what I've been thinking all along, not as a statistician, just as somebody who pays attention and tries to read a lot. Uh, but what I want to know is, where is the disconnect then? Because as, as you no doubt come across this in a, in a, on a regular basis, if you tell people, you know, if you tell a, a lot of folks, I know there's a political divide here, but if you tell, for example, any of my media colleagues who aren't on the right, if you say that 
CO2 emissions are not causing catastrophic warming. They launch into just this broadside about how all scientists agree and 99 percent of scientists and the consensus and the consensus and all this stuff. What do you say to all that? The same thing I've been saying since I discovered this as a professor of climate statistics back in 2004. Buck, uh, with my students, because I had to grade their papers, <laughs> graduate students in statistics, uh, I've read probably every single study of the effects of carbon dioxide on these climate variables uh, to see whether the extreme weather and damaging events, uh, droughts, etc., have increased. And they have not. So what you're actually seeing is a consensus of scientists that CO2 is a warming gas, exaggeration by politicians who say it could cause horrible things in the future. And you know what? It could. We have to wait and see. But so far, they've had 30 years of predictions of disaster in 12 years, and it never happens. Uh, I am a Democrat. I will say it. It troubles me that my party has fallen into this camp of saying uh, the science says when that just isn't that just isn't true. Uh, now the latest one, as you notice, is, and you, this is good for your background, the intelligence community says, right? Who wouldn't believe the intelligence community? Well, you know, as a Democrat, I can tell you, uh, I would just say weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. <laughs> we know they can get it wrong sometimes, even though they're trying hard. Why the left uh, just tries to throw out this expertise and say, uh, all the scientists, all the intelligence community agrees. No, 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 they don't. Those clips you played at the top of the hour were not about fossil-fueled climate change, because we don't know how much there has been. They were about climate change and extreme weather. Um, that the, one of the good things about CO2 is it's providing more greening in uh, the parts of Africa that do need more food. Perhaps that will help national security. Is there anyone out there who will, you know, who will uh, debate debate you and your group in public on this? Because I just think it's so interesting. Uh, and for the people listening, it, it is such a, a breath of fresh air just to hear someone who, who's talking about this and say, look, the, the, the data doesn't support it. But we're always being bombarded with this message that if we don't, uh, you know, if we don't accept what we're being told, which is that I played clips yesterday, uh, Doc, of people that were saying they don't want to have kids because climate change is so catastrophic. <laughs> I mean, this has really turned into a mass hysteria. Topic. You, you've got people, whether it was population growth or uh, carbon dioxide, you've got people who are always worried about the future. I can't help them when we're living at the highest life expectancy ever in humanity, the best health, the best education, people's lives are the best, in large part because of the miracle of fossil-fueled power that we got in the 20th century. So if they're not having kids now, they certainly should never have had them before. Look, um, I've been dealing with this for 15 years, and I don't know quite where it came from. This is the one topic that the left refuses to debate. If I show up somewhere, uh, Ms. Ocasio-Cortez sends a letter to the sponsors saying this climate denier uh, should not be allowed to appear, and you should cut off funding for this uh, for this conference. And so whenever I speak now, I invite her. I sent her office a standing invitation. And I sent a standing invitation to the Union of Concerned Scientists and the Greenpeace and the Environmental Defense Fund. If you're so sure of your case, come and debate it with me. Um, so when I spoke last week at the uh, CPAC conference, I told the story of how when I was an anti-war activist back in the 1960s, we would always put a sign out on the seat, an empty seat on the stage saying, reserved for the State Department. 
So if they wanted to come and argue us at the Vietnam teach-in, we wanted to have the debate because we thought we would win the debate. So mine now says, I put it on the seat every time I speak, is reserved for Rep. Ocasio-Cortez, Greenpeace, and any alarmist in the building. Well, Doc, I, I hope that uh, I hope that someone takes you up on it because people need to hear the truth, because what's being said right now by the entirety of the Democratic Party, the liberal media intelligentsia, uh, even some quarters of the of the top military brass now. It, it's just crazy, man. It's just nuts. And people need to get a grip. But that's not my scientific analysis. That's just the way I see things. <laughs> well, they, we got to I'm Dr. Sorry, Caleb Rossiter. They're what's not going to come. They're not going to. No, I know. They're going to hide because they're going to get crushed on the facts. Dr. Caleb Rossiter, everybody, the CO2 Coalition. Where can people go to read your research, see more of what you're up to? Well, we have a website, CO2 Coalition, uh, clips of media appearances like this one here. We try to put everything up. But we have 45 members who are uh, far better scientists uh, on this than, than I am. I'm the climate statistician. We've got people like Dr. Lindzen and Dr. Idso uh, who like to go out and speak and talk about this. They're glad to debate, but since we rarely get to debate, they love to come and speak with people about it. So please check us out and uh, invite us to come talk to someone uh, in your community. All right. Thank you so much, Doc. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. All right, team. We'll be right back. My friends, I am somebody who believes in precious metals as part of a well-diversified portfolio. So if you're somebody that, like I do, sees the systemic risk in our financial system, you know, I know Trump's doing a great job with the economy. We got $22 trillion in debt. These bills are going to come due at some point. So it's important that you have a hedge against risk, and that's what precious metals can do for you. And it's a great thing to have specifically in a precious metals IRA. My friends at Noble Gold can see if you qualify, and they will do all the heavy lifting for you. Could make you thousands, could cost you nothing. Give Noble Gold a call at 877-646-5347 or text my name, Buck, to 511-511 and receive their free investor's guide. Plus, for all qualified IRAs of up $20,000, they'll include a complimentary rare graded Morgan silver dollar valued at $150. Again, text Buck to 511-511 or go to noblegoldinvestments.com. Individual results may vary. Invest wisely. Standard text rates may apply. She's... Talking about climate change, of course, and saying that we have to eliminate fossil fuels, all fossil fuels, coal, oil, and natural gas, in 10 years. This would be basically a suicide pact. Over 80% of the U.S. and the world's energy comes from fossil fuels. And the only reason for banning them is the so-called climate apocalypse or climate catastrophe. I see AOC recruiting young teachers and whole classes of young children against the apocalypse, they're saying. They're telling these children that there's going to be an apocalypse in 10 years if they don't save the climate. I think this is child abuse myself. The whole climate change movement has now reverted to using kids as a front for not only climate change and ending the use of fossil fuels, but the whole ball of wax about socialism. I think that's really what they're trying to sell. So that was Patrick Moore, who is formerly the president of Greenpeace Canada, talking about Ocasio-Cortez and climate change. I mean, I agree with everything that guy just said. Just saw this, saw this clip today. Everything he says there, that they're mobilizing kids, that it's child abuse, that uh, this whole apocalyptic nonsense is just insane, that AOC has no idea 
you know, how completely bizarrely uh, off she is with all this stuff because she doesn't understand it. She just knows it's trying to sell socialism. What was I telling you earlier in the week? This guy, Patrick Moore, gets it. The Green New Deal is really just the Red New America. They're just trying to get you to a a socialist uh, level of control and a socialist economy because the government will have the means of the the say-so over everything, over all decisions because of how it affects the climate. Activity, human activity affects the climate. So if you need to monitor and manage human activity so that it does not have a deleterious effect on the climate, what can you do? not decide you're going to shut down you know what what is what is too much and the answer is they don't have an answer Um, but i thought that guy was this this guy from canada man he was spot on and i really enjoyed dr uh, dr rossiter there that was really interesting too i mean you know this is folks consensus is not science science is science proving and reproving testing and retesting thesis the scientific method all of it right there's supposed to be a process here share the results share the data can other people independently recreate the same experiment and get the same data do the models actually work are people checking to see if these climate models have been correct well as we know they they do and they find out that they're wrong and then they just say well we have a new model now this one will work this is a delusion for people who are commies and aren't willing to say it and it's also for people that are looking for meaning in their lives. And I, I think this is very sad. But this idea that you are personally in the process of saving the planet, if you sign on for this, this is where the religious component of it comes from. And this is why it is treated on the left as a religious belief. And it's impervious to facts. They say there are no scientists. And then I provide them with scientists who disagree. And then they shout them down and, or, and, and won't talk to them, won't debate them. Because here's the thing, the climate alarmists are wrong, and you and I know they're wrong. We are expanding to make films that better reflect the people that buy movie tickets, but they are not allowed enough chances to read public discourse on these films by the people that these films were made for. I do not need a 40-year-old white dude to tell me what didn't work for him about A Wrinkle in Time. It wasn't made for him. I want to know what that film meant to women of color, to biracial women, to teen women of color, to teens that are biracial. Brie Larson, star of the Captain Marvel movie, doesn't want to hear from white dudes about why her movie didn't work. You know, this is this is something that has been coming for a while, and I guess it's really not in any way surprising then. But now, now we have seen... Social justice, the social justice left becomes so entrenched in Hollywood that now they'll actually make bad movies with bad left wing themes and then try to blame people for it. Right. It it used to be that they would make entertaining films, but they would always skew a little bit left. Right. The the old Hollywood model was, you know, we're going to make a movie, but the theme is going to be left wing. Uh, or, or there's going to be some some left wing propaganda, you know, put into it. But at least it's going to be entertaining. So if you'll sit through it, you'll have an enjoyable experience, even if you don't like the politics. Now they're just willing to make crappy movies that, of course, are all about social justice and even the casting of it and all the rest of it. And if we don't like them, if the marketplace speaks and says, boo, 
then we're the problem. Um, Brandon, do you know, isn't Captain Marvel, first of all, supposed to be a dude or am I missing something? I think it is a female character. I know comics, but I just never got into Captain Marvel. I guess, is that different than Captain America then? I don't even know. Yes, yes, two different. Okay, right. No, I mean, I guess, but so is Captain Marvel the female Captain America? Is that what's supposed to happen? Because I thought that was Wonder Woman, but you know, I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, Yeah, she's definitely a female. I know that. Oh, it's definitely a female? All right. It's the, yeah. Who, by the way, who is Brie Larson? And when did she become famous? This is the first time I've ever seen this person's name. Yeah, yeah, your guess is as good as mine. Everyone's like, Brie Larson had this to say. Yeah. like, so? Well, fuck, we're two white dudes. We're insignificant. I know. But see, Mike, I fell right into the trap. I'm a white dude. I'm not allowed to have an opinion yeah. on this, this movie. Right. Even superhero movies now have to be woke. Uh, this is why we're told that, you know, the Ghostbusters all-female remake wasn't one of the worst movies ever made. It's just because the patriarchy, man, or, or something like that. It's never that the left is infusing its politics into these projects in such a way that normal people just don't want to see them and that they're not producing a good product because they're focused on the wrong thing. Hollywood should be entertaining us. That is goal number one. You do not sit down to watch a Hollywood superhero movie to learn for sure. Uh, Maybe for some people they find it inspirational, although, you know, I don't know how inspired most of us generally get from seeing someone who's you know, bitten by a radioactive spider and get superpowers. I mean, yeah, I'd be inspired if I had superpowers too, but you just can't get away from this stuff though. There's no escape now. And this is why they're increasingly telling us that, that we have to like movies that stink. And oh, by the way, now that there is a large or a broad consensus that some of these movies that have these left-wing themes, you know, if a female is in the lead of a movie these days, we all have to pretend like it's a good movie. And, you know, this is why, look, Wonder Woman is just okay. I mean, it's pretty decent. It's not a bad movie, but it's not an amazing movie. It's not something that you're going to remember that's timeless. and like, oh, It's an okay superhero movie. Don't even get me started on Black Panther. It's just not a good movie. In fact, in some parts, the movie is just stupid. It's not a good movie. But we have to like it because African-American, or I'm sorry, pardon me, African superhero in the lead. So there is a social justice tie in to, you know, the non-white patriarchy being more represented in cinema. And to this, I always want to say, you know, American audiences have been cheering for African-American leads in in top movies for, you know, for, for decades and decades. Right. Will Smith, Denzel Washington. These are some of the biggest superheroes. I'm sorry, big, biggest actors. Well, superheroes are some in the world. So why then do we have to, oh, you have to like Black Panther because it's a movie with an African superhero in the lead? No, I don't have to like the movie. I don't understand this this kind of social blackmail that occurs here where if you don't like uh, Captain Marvel, you don't like the Ghostbusters movies, you're the problem. Oh, but as Mike pointed out to me, that's what Brie Larson here is saying. You're a white male, so no one cares what you think. Um, I think we get a vote on culture. I think we get a vote on mass media. I think we're allowed to at least express our opinions because, you know, the First Amendment and stuff. Ain't no party like a Team Buck party because a Team Buck party don't stop. Yeah, we got Buck turned up to 11.
It's time for Roll Call. If you want to see the CPAC debate that I had on Syria with a very strongly pro-intervention fellow from the American Enterprise Institute, it is now posted on Facebook. I think it's pretty quick, too. It's about 17 minutes, I think, of actual debate. So uh, I'm not asking you to take up your whole afternoon with it, but I, I think you will enjoy it. I think you'll find it uh, worth your time to be sure. So uh, it is up and you can check it out. The link is on facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Now we can get to your thoughts, your words, enough of mine. Joe, oh, oh of course, facebook.com slash Buck Sexton is where you want to go for all this stuff. Joe writes, I have to echo your sentiments on Nirvana. Not a bad band, and Dave Grohl for the win, but highly overrated. But what I do know is I thought it was Hey Wayne 2, Shields High, OSS, Joe. Is it not Hey Wayne? Now we have somebody who's going to be able to answer this. Uh, Brandon, excuse me, Brandon. Hello, Brandon, mm-hmm. DJ Brandon. Right. Isn't it Hey Wayne? I'm on a na 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 You know what I'm talking about? Are you saying Hey Wayne? Isn't that what the, what is he saying in the lyrics, the Nirvana song? It's not Wayne. It's not an O to uh, Mr. Newton or anything like that. What's he saying? What is that? That's um. That's Nirvana. But no, what's no, no. He I'm trying to think of the, the, the name of the song. A heart shaped box. That song. Maybe. Yeah. I, don't I think know. it's Way. It's just Way. Hey Way. Really? I'll get up right now. Yep, thank you. Dude, you're the rock <laughs> DJ. I expect you to have this stuff. And the good news is it's I'm not, not going a Guns with lyrics. and Roses. If it were a Guns N' Roses lyric, Brandon, oh. you would have to give yourself a code red. I don't know what else to tell that you. That is true. It would be in trouble. Yeah, okay. But it's it's Nirvana, and we all know Nirvana. I See, here's a, here's a perfect example. Guns N' Roses, better band than Nirvana. Better band than Nirvana. It's Wait, by the way. It's Hey, Wait. Ah. I've got a new you. complaint because that rhymes. Ah, wait, I got it. I know it wasn't point. Wayne. Okay. <laughs> I thought okay. it was, see, right. I got Wayne Wait mixed up, but that's not as bad as. All right, so I made a fool of myself on national radio. <laughs> N- NBD, no big deal. Hey, Wayne. I like the way I say it. Anyway, all right. So, uh, by the way, Dave Grohl. Yeah, I really do like, uh, I really do like Foo Fighters. Um, and I always remember that there was a, I saw this clip a long time ago. I don't know, Brandon, you saw this too, but Dave Grohl was doing a show. I forget where it was. And people decided to go from like jumping around in a mosh pit to one guy started to just started just punching people in the face. Like he just lost it Not good. in the mosh pit. And he stopped the show and called security and was like, people are here to party and have fun. Nothing happens until you get the hell out of here. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. I thought that was pretty I thought that was pretty cool. Back in the day something like that happened instead Axel Rose dove into the crowd and and punched the guy. So oh, a, whoa, a, a really? couple of approaches to it. Axel Rose, <laughs> superhero, who knew? I did not know that. Also a sim- I think the stained lead lead singer, I could be wrong, but he saw some guys who were getting gropey with like a very young girl and he laid into them and called security and if, if i think it was the stain lead singer but i always like it when you know people you know you got to regulate your own party you, you know you should You're get the him on the star. you should get him on the show though uh aaron lewis very uh pro-america and yeah no i like his on. music yeah i like his music all right yeah and he likes america so we like him here all right let's get let's get back into roll call sorry a little bit of a digression there 
Jeff writes, hey, Buck, do you think this whole birth strike thing is actually healthy for our population? Darwinism can help weed out the wacky lefties. Um, Nah, Jeff, I mean, I see where your head's at, but I wish people weren't so unbelievably terrified about all this stuff. I mean, it's just bad. It's obviously not just some political fad. There are people who really believe this stuff now. And I find that very disconcerting. And I think that anybody should find it very disconcerting that there are people that think that this is, you know, a good idea to not have children going forward. Uh, strikes me as as truly wacko. Uh, next up here, Randy writes, I had to beat them to death with their own shoes. Rody from Wayne's World. Correct, Randy. It was the Rody from Wayne's World 2. Who was the only good thing in Wayne's World 2. The rest of Wayne's World 2 is pretty terrible, but the English roadie guy is is memorable and does a good job. Uh, Melissa writes, you were so on point with Jussie Smollett's story. Would you speak about the documentary that came out about MJ? I'm wondering about your take on it. Well, Melissa, thank you. And I appreciate that people listening to this show know that I was doing the Jussie Smollett is a liar update way in advance of most of the rest of the media, almost all of the media, really, because I don't care about the social justice rhetoric of the left and the way that they try to make victims of people who aren't even victims. I like the truth. So that was how I was able to see through that one. As for the Michael Jackson documentary that just aired on HBO, I was only able to watch because I had to write uh, a piece Sunday night for The Hill which you should all check out, which is the Democrats have switched from collusion to obstruction on the hill dot com. Uh, but on I was able to watch about 15 or 20 minutes of it. I mean, I get the, the, the basics of it. I've been told by trusted sources that I should watch the whole thing. Um, but I think, yeah, I think Michael Jackson's a predator or was. I mean, I, I, I don't understand why people are so resistant to the mountain of facts in in this case and even if you want to say that he did not you know if people want to take this he didn't engage in criminal conduct what he did was bizarre and completely unacceptable that everyone knows he did an adult male should never be sleeping in a bed with a seven or eight year old boy that's not you know it's just period just period that's not normal so anyway it strikes me as very as very strange um, but you know, it is what it is. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, it's one of these things too, where people get strangely defensive about it. And I don't, you know, look, I understand people love Michael Jackson's music and he was, in, he was incredibly talented. There's no question about that, but we can't defy reality because we like somebody's music. Sean writes, Hey Buck, referring to your roll call for March 4th. I agree that Nirvana was overrated. As I reflect upon my experience with 90s music, I'm very grateful that classic rock gained much popularity with the advent of all-encompassing rock radio stations. If not for the Eagles and similar bands, I likely would have found music to be entirely worthless. I still, to this day, prefer the classic rock genre over any other and doubt it will ever be eclipsed in my lifetime. Shields high, Sean OSS. Well, Sean, very eloquent in your uh, discussion of music taster. I appreciate it, and thank you for writing in. Oh, on the MJ documentary, I, I need to finish it. I have not finished it, and I will finish it. And when I do, I will have more for you on that. Um, 
Alrighty. Whoa, we got a, a long one here. Oh, I got to skip it because it's too long. Keith writes, what movie make America great again, possibly predating MAGA? Hmm, Keith, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm sorry to say. Brendan, um, are you available to chat? Do you think the president uh, messed up by not building the border wall? Would AOC not vote for green tech wall? Uh, well, Brendan, I'm available to read your message on a couple or, you know, on, on 130 or so radio stations. But uh, so that's kind of like chatting. And do I think AOC would not vote for green tech wall? Uh, I don't really know what you're asking me. Would she vote for solar panels on a wall? Maybe, but she wouldn't vote for the wall. Van writes our buck. Do you not suppose that pistachio ice cream contains nuts, seeing that a pistachio is a nut? Sounds like a double standard to me. Nod, nod, wink, wink. However, I'm right there with you on brownies sans nuts, brother. Van. Uh, pistachio is a nut. You are correct. However, in my experience, pistachio-flavored ice cream is just that. It is flavored with the nut flavor. It is not really the nuts that are giving it... Well, it is not whole nuts that are giving it flavor. I sound nuts right now. This isn't even making any sense. But I still think pistachio is the king of all ice cream flavors. So there. How, how about them pistachios uh john another ice cream the best ice cream flavor is talenti's old world eggnog mind-blowing shields high john john i will tell you that i am a major talenti ice cream fan in fact i have to kind of keep tabs on whether i'm keeping into the house or not because i will rip through that stuff and man that is a sugar bomb and a half but it is so good the uh the salted caramel ice cream flavor that has the chunks of the salted caramel is is incredible. One of my one of my favorite favorite things. Also, the pistachio is very very good. We should get. I wish I could get Talenti as a sponsor, but you know, probably it's owned by a big corporation. Who knows? Uh, Russell writes, Buck. I'm a fairly new listener to your show. I take a lot of stock in what you say about, but I'm not very smart about a lot of political issues. One thing that resonates in the back of my mind is when you talk about the left trying to take over the presidency or throw Trump out without justification. Can that not be considered treason? My shields are high now. Thank you for your insights. Well, Russell, I'm glad your shields are high. Welcome to the team. Great to have you as as part of our uh, daily uh, gathering of patriots from across the nation and around the world. As for uh, treason, treason is a specific thing. Treason is one of only three crimes outlined in the Constitution, treason, piracy and counterfeiting. And treason is giving aid and comfort to the enemy in a time of war, really. Uh, Just generically betraying your country would not be treason. And I think we'd want to be very careful with how we applied the label treason uh, in terms of our political disputes. But uh, an interesting question. And thank you so much for writing in. And uh, good to have you here in the Freedom Hut. That's going to be the show for today, my friends. I already saw the trailer for Game of Thrones last season. I'm excited about that. We'll talk about that probably on Friday. In the meantime, team, no matter what comes your way, you know what your orders are. Shields high. So I remember when I came down to D.C. and we had to staff up so quickly for Hill TV and we were trying to find the best people as quickly as possible. And, you know, we could have just overworked our HR department and and hope that we just got in some kind of a, you know, lucky streak or we could do what we did 
which was go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Buck. That's right. I used my ZipRecruiter account to hire a number of my colleagues, and I can't tell you how quickly the process went and how successful it was because ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, and they don't stop there because they have a powerful matching technology that means that ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find the right people with the right experience and invites them to apply. Right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter like I did for free at this exclusive web address ziprecruiter.com slash buck that's ziprecruiter.com slash buck again ziprecruiter.com slash buck